All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We are in Colossians. While they receive the offering, go ahead and open them. We're in Colossians uh, 2, and we're going to start in verse 9 this morning, Colossians 2, 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, you forgot your Bible at home, or you don't own a Bible, you left it in the car, whatever, um, there's a white Bible underneath the seat that you're sitting in. You can reach down there and grab a Bible from underneath the seat. It's a white Bible, and on that, in that Bible, it's on page 572, page 572, Colossians 2, page 572. Uh, we've been in Colossians, this is, this is week 6. And we are, we're beginning to march through chapter 2 um, this morning. And uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 9. Um, but really, verse 9 and verse 10 of chapter 2, um, uh, actually, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. That's a typo. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. It confused me when I read it up there. I was like, that's not right. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. In verse 8 and verse 9, um, really, uh, verse 8 declares a new uh, calling a new truth. It's an imperative. It's Paul is saying, listen, I need you to do this. Don't, don't do this, right? Um, but then verse 9 is going to recap. It's going to recap um, everything that he's said so far, um, everything that we've unpacked already. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on 8 and 9, but I just want to draw them out for you a, a, a little bit before we really dive into the rest of it. And so here's 8 and 9 for us. We're just going to jump right in. Verse 8 reads this way, if you've got your Bible. See to it, right? Here it is. Make sure, make sure of this. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All right. Here's what he says. Given everything that I've said so far, Paul, Paul if you have not been with us, you can, you can find this all online. We marched through all of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. Um, it's online, flourishinggrace.org, slash only Jesus. Every sermon is there uh, from this series for, in Colossians. You, you, can, you can find it there. We've been marching through this together. And what Paul has said, um, in, in a very quick, abbreviated nutshell, is Jesus is incredible. He's amazing. He's preeminent. For, um, by him, all things are created in heaven and on earth. They were also created uh, through him and to him. They, they are created for him. They belong to him. Um, he, he is um, the beginning of all things. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first ever raised from the grave. Um, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is amazing. Um, you and I, we are, we are broken, right? Paul says, and you, you who were once alienated, you who were once far off, um, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were cut off from this, right? Because of the sin of humanity, because of the brokenness of, of our lives, no one in this room has lived a worthy life before God. We have not achieved perfection before him. Our most righteous acts are as filthy rags before him. Um, and so we, we stand before him, um, cut off, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? And so we, and we've talked about this, um, week in and week out. What do you mean evil deeds, Josh? I'm not, I'm not evil. I'm not wicked. Look, I've got to, I live a good life. I've done right things. I, I'm not, I'm not that bad, right? Look at this guy. He's far worse than I am, right? You see, the measuring stick that we always use is our own life. Look at my life compared to this guy. Like, look, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I've got, my, my spouse loves me. My kids love me. My neighbors like me. Like, I'm not that bad, Josh. Like, this guy, he's horrible. I mean, he's 
um, addicted to drugs. He's in jail because he murdered somebody. It's terrible. You know, like, I'm not that bad. I'm not doing evil deeds. But the measuring stick that God uses is Christ. And when you stick that measuring stick next to you, suddenly Christ looks down and he's like, that's pretty bad, right? That's, that's the measuring stick. And so when I put myself next to Christ, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, actually I am. I, I am that bad. I, I, have not, I am not righteous. I am not holy. I am not blameless. That is not me, right? And if you, if you know me, you know that's true, all right? And, and, and I believe that if I know you, I probably know that's true as well, right? The people in your life that know you would say, yeah, you're not Jesus, okay? Um, and if they do, well, I don't know. That's weird. Um, and, and so all, all the way through, Paul has said, man, Jesus is incredible. Jesus is amazing. Um, and we are not. However, God has solved this problem. He has created a solution to this. This was a mystery hidden for the ages. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Jesus on the cross has made a way to bridge this gap between his perfection and our imperfection, this massive distance, this expanse that we could not, um, to, could not cross, could not achieve on our own. Jesus said, I mean, I can solve that. And so he pays for our penalty. He pays for our sin on the cross, and he imputes his righteousness into us. He takes up residence inside of us. This is the great mystery. This is how it's going to be solved. God says, in, I'm going to place myself in you. The fullness of me will reside in you. The saints, if you are in Christ here this morning, uh, Christ has taken up a residence inside of you. If you've put your hope and your trust in him, you've wrapped your life around him, not of the things of this world, around him, he has taken up a residence inside of you. And Paul is reiterating all of that right here. He says, listen, do not be captured by philosophy, by empty deceit, by the traditions of this world, by the elemental spirits, meaning like the, the, the crazy things like God's in the wind, he's in the fire, he's in the elemental spirits of this world, he's in the sea, right? No, don't, don't fall in that, right? The very, very Roman, Roman thinking ideas, right? And then also very Jewish thinking ideas, the, the religious traditions of the world, right? So he's, he's attacking the things that are pulling these people, the people in Colossae, away from Christ. He says, no, no, remember, everything that you ever need, everything that every religion or idea or philosophy of the world promises you is not there. It is in Christ. It is in God, the one true God. And that the fullness of God is now in you, the hope of glory. We're going to talk way more about this idea of being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition and elemental spirits of the world. We're going to talk way more about that next week. And so we're going to table that for one week, okay? So, but, pay, but just hear me, but this is what Paul's saying. If, if you begin to pursue things that you think are going to fulfill you in some way, shape, or form, that you think that can bridge this gap, this expanse between Christ and who you are, you will miss out on Christ. You're going to miss out on Christ. You're going to miss out on the one whom the, in whom the fullness of the deity of God dwelt in, in, the, in the fullness of his body, the deity of God fully dwelt in him. You're going to miss out on him. You're going to miss out on the one who, who longs to take up residence inside of us. You're going to miss out on him. But then here's where Paul goes. He says, and there's even more to it than that. The gospel is not that God has just simply saved you and rescued you. Man, there's so much more. It is this untappable, never-ending um, gift that God has given us. He says, but then wait, there's more, like a great game show host. Paul's like, but wait, there's more, right? And that's where he's going to go with the rest of this text. He says in verse 11, 
He says it this way. In him also, right? There's, there's more in him. There's more in Christ. In him also, you were circumcised. Relax, fellas. With a circumcision made without hands. All right, it's okay. Um, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the first thing we see is this, is this unbelievable transformation. So we're going, to see, we're going to see two things, really. We're going to see this unbelievable transformation, and we're going to see unbelievable forgiveness. The first piece is unbelievable transformation. What Paul says in this, he says that you have been circumcised. I know, surprise to you all. But if you are in Christ here this morning, whether you realize it or not, you have been circumcised. That's what Paul says. He says, in Christ, you have been circumcised. Not with the circumcision of hands, but a circumcision in Christ. Circumcision is this Old Testament idea. The people of God in the Old Testament, God makes a covenant originally with Abraham, then later with Moses as he leads people out of Egypt. He says, this is how, this is how people are going to be marked, set apart as my people. The nation of Israel will be marked in this way. They will be circumcised. The literal cutting off of flesh is how they're going to be marked. This Old Testament idea, Old Testament circumcision, is a literal cutting of flesh, a mark of those who join the covenant people of God, the nation of Israel. This is, this is the Old Testament idea of circumcision. But then in the New Testament, you have this, this, this new way, this new identity. If you read through the epistles of Paul, these letters that he wrote to these early churches, Often he's attacking um, this, this, this philosophy, this thinking, this, this theology of, of what we refer to as Judaizers. Um, there were people who were coming through these towns into these churches that Paul had planted and saying, saying, yes, we believe in Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah, but the Messiah is Jewish, and if you want to follow Jesus, you need to become Jewish, and if you want to become Jewish, you need to be circumcised. Yikes, all right? And so this was a common practice in this day. Adult men becoming followers of Jesus, and then through this kind of, this, this incorrect thinking, this incorrect theology, this incorrect philosophy, um, being circumcised and, and learning uh, Jewish religion, Jewish tradition in order to be followers of Christ. Paul's saying, no, 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 you, You've missed it. You missed it. You've already been circumcised. Whether you, whether you realize it or not, that's already taken place. The New Testament idea of circumcision, right? And it's not a direct parallel, but the New Testament idea of circumcision is a symbolic cutting off of the old self or sinful nature and an entering into a new covenant with God through baptism and faith in Christ. God has created for you and for me a new covenant. And the marking of that is, an, is a new circumcision, right? Baptism and faith in Christ. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, 31, the prophet Jeremiah, um, God tells Jeremiah that this is going to take place in the future, in the distance. A time is coming when I'm going to establish a new covenant with my people. And it's going to be a different covenant, totally different than the one that we have now, the one that Moses had. It reads this way, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, let me up here on the screen if you don't want to flip there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant 
that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, right? Did we not talk about that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll put it within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall, shall each one teach his neighbor and each one um, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give, for, forgive them their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. All of Colossians, the first chapter that we've read, Paul has been pointing to this idea, right? Paul's, Paul's opening prayer in Colossians, right? That you would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God um, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of him, and all, right? So that you'd be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might walk in, in, a, in a manner worthy of him, right? Know the Lord. Know trust. He's been pushing us to this idea, right? Christ has made himself available to us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Paul is pushing us towards this idea that a new covenant that God has established with his people. And now in chapter 2, he's saying, here's the mark of that, a new circumcision, not with hands, not made by hands, not a literal cutting of flesh, a circumcision of Christ, circumcision of Christ, where Christ steps in and cuts away, cuts off the old self. It's gone. It's removed. Paul writes about this idea also in Romans, Romans 6. Uh, Romans 6 kind of parallels uh, Colossians 2. Romans 6, 6, Paul writes it this way. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? So um, the body of flesh, the body of sin, all of who we once were would be brought to nothing, would be severed, cut off. Now, here's the reality, church. A lot of who you were and a lot of who you are, maybe even still, is wrapped up in that. There are things in your life that you've found your identity in that are wrapped up in that old self. Who you are apart from Christ, who you are over here separated from him. There are things that you've defined about you that are not of Christ. They're not only Jesus. No, no, no. I'm known as this person, this guy, this gal. I'm known as the guy who's successful in my career. I'm known as the guy uh, or, the, or the gal um, who treats people this way or does these things. And I'm known as this person. I'm known as the person who is, who is always going to church. I'm known as the person who's always doing the right things. I'm known as the person who's got um, the big house. I'm known as the person who's got the great family. I'm known as the person, like, this is who I am. And so for you, for you, you have resisted the full cutting away of this because it's, man, it's just part of who you are. For some of you, you've tried to cut it off. You've tried to remove it on your own. You've tried to, to, to peel it off or scrape it off. You've tried to remove it from yourself. Um, and you've said, no, no, look, I, 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 if that's who I used to be, I'm not that way anymore. But it keeps circling back around. It keeps coming back to bite you again and again and again. There's a sin in your life that you say, no, no, I've freed myself from it. But every six months, every three months, every, every year, every three years, every now and then, it, it rears its ugly head and it comes back to get you again. It hasn't fully been cut off. The mark of the one who says only Jesus, and of course only Jesus is alive, man, the old self is severed. It is cut off. 
And we declare this, we declare this through baptism, right? Paul goes on, he says it in that passage, verse 12, um, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. All right, let's do this. Verse 11, if you got your Bibles, Paul says this in 11, by putting off the body of what? guys. We're going to do this three times. By putting off the body of what? Flesh, sin. Yeah. Cutting it off, removing it, setting aside. Verse 12, having been buried with him in what? Baptism, right? In which you were also raised with him through what? Faith, all right? So we're cutting off the flesh. We're burying it in baptism. And then we're raising, we're finding new life in faith. This is what Paul's communicating. So Christ is the, is the circumciser. He's the one slicing, cutting off the old self, not with hands. This is a spiritual circumcision. I'm, I'm severing the old. We're going to bury that in baptism. Baptism is this symbolic burial, right? As we identify, we align our lives with Christ, just as he did. We're burying it with him. We're nailing it to the cross. We bury it with Christ. Paul references this idea um, in Romans 6 as well, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self, wait, Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, we go under the water. And there's no life there. You, you, there's, it, you close your eyes, it's dark, you can't breathe. Um, if you stay there, you will die, all right? You, you, can't, you can't stay there. We, it's a symbolic burying, a killing, a death of the old self. It's been cut off, it's been severed, it's dead. I'm, I'm burying it with Christ, I'm crucifying with, with Christ. And then as we come out, we are raised to a new life through what? What was the word? Faith, okay? Here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to, to know, right? Baptism is, 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 a, is, not, is not a salvific work. It doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. Ba- baptism does not save you from anything. Listen, it is, there's, no, there's no special potion that we put in the water. It is bountiful city water. It's hard. It's crusty. We got to clean out the tank every single time, right? It's not, listen, I know, you shower in it, so it's, it's fine. You can drink it, but I don't. Um, we, we, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing um, special about the water. But baptism is incredibly special. It's not salvific. It doesn't, it doesn't save you from anything. It doesn't earn you anything. It doesn't gain you anything, right? It doesn't earn you um, some special seat at the table or some um, rights to a club. It doesn't earn you anything. Faith did that. Okay, so baptism, we, we go under the water. It is the marking of, of the new covenant with God. Just like, just like in the Old Testament, right? What do, you, what do you gain through circumcision? It didn't earn you salvation. It didn't earn you anything. It was a marking of this old covenant, making a covenant with God through this act of circumcision. The new covenant, the marking is baptism. We are being baptized into Christ, marking this new covenant, saying, man, my old self, cut that off, bury it, crucify it, get rid of it, raise me to new life through faith, through faith. 
Um, next Sunday, right after, right after this gathering, right after our 11 o'clock gathering, we're going to have a baptism class. Um, There's free lunch, free class. Um, you can come out and check it out. We're going to dive deep into this idea of baptism. If you're question, you've got questions you're wrestling through, or we're going to talk a lot more about it. We're going to talk about uh, what baptism is, what baptism is not, who should be baptized, who shouldn't be baptized. We're talking about baptism for the dead, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, we're going to unpack all of that in that class. If you've got questions, man, I encourage you, come check that out. But just for this morning, I want you to hear this. Baptism, there's, no, there's nothing salvific. There's nothing saving. It doesn't earn you anything. It's not, it's not an act to earn something. It's an act to declare something. It declares that it's Christ and Christ alone that, that I'm going to live for, that my old self is gone, it's cut off, and I'm going to be raised to new life in faith, right? Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, right? It is by grace you've been saved through faith, right? This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. This is not, this is not something that we did, right? Um, this, is, this is Christ in Christ alone. He alone has done this. Today, actually, uh, we celebrate the 500th anniversary, which is crazy to me. Um, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, October 31st, um, 1517, um, 500 years ago Tuesday uh, will be the day that Martin Luther nailed um, his 95 Thesis to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. For those of you who don't know what that means, don't understand that, there's actually a movie coming out about it. Um, there's been movies before on it. Um, you can learn more about it on our, our website, on our events page, a movie that's coming out. It's going to be play here maybe in Bountiful. Um, Martin Luther um, lived at a moment of time. He was, he, was a, he was a German monk, Wittenberg, Germany, and um, the Catholic Church was the church. There was no other church, and the Catholic Church um, had, had stumbled and fallen. They had, they had begun to believe a number of things, and the number one thing that Martin Luther said, dude, this is just not right, this is not true, is they begin to say, no, 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 there, you can do things to earn your salvation. There are things that you can do in order to buy uh, your salvation, buy back your forgiveness, and, and Luther's big thing was, man, no, we are justified uh, through faith alone. Faith alone justifies us. Faith in Christ, he has done the work. He has done the cutting. He has done it all. Are the things that we do in our life do not, do not mark us that. And that, that was a turning point for the church, maybe the greatest turning point um, since, since the resurrection of Christ. And so this morning, I just want to make sure that we are clear and we are justified not by anything that we've ever done other than putting our hope and our faith and our love and our affection into the person of Jesus Christ and declaring with our lives only Jesus and Paul's going to go on. He's going to unpack that idea in the next verse. He says it this way. He says that we've been forgiven. We've been given a new life. In verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, right? He's talking about the Gentiles here, non-Jews, right? God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us of all our trespasses, okay? He has forgiven us of every ounce of everything that you have ever done. For some of you in this room, you have been carrying around for years, literally years, this baggage, this guilt and this shame of, of what you, you want to be cut off. You want it to be cut off and just cut it off, just cut it off, but you, you've been carrying it around. You're like, yes, Jesus, but I just got to carry this thing around with me. Everywhere I go, I got to carry the old self around with me. Um, and I know I don't do that anymore, but I carry the guilt and I carry the shame of that old self. And Paul says, man, you have been forgiven of every ounce of that, every bit of that. As a follower of Jesus, when you look 
back at your life, you say, man, I am more like Christ today than I was five years ago. Man, if, if that's not true, right, you are carrying around some stuff that, that I mean, Christ has paid for, he's bled for, he's given his life for. Um, and, and, and 10 years ago, I'm far more like Christ than I am than, than, than I was then. You know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, how long, however long you've been a follower of Jesus. If you look at, now you look at yesterday, it's a little bit harder to see. But man, you get my friends from high school and my friends from college in here, they'll tell you stories. And every time they make fun of me all the time, because they're like, dude, how in the world are you a pastor? Right? Because they knew me before. They knew me before. They knew who I was. They knew what I was about. They knew the things that marked my life. They knew what I had rooted my identity in. And they say, man, man, how in the world is it that you are who you are now? They can't figure it out. They don't understand it. Now, some of them are followers of Jesus, and they get it, and they celebrate it, and it's beautiful. Some of the rest of them, they're just like, dude, what in the world happened to you? Christ has cut that off. He has removed it, and the guilt and the shame goes with it. He's forgiven me of all of my trespasses. And the same is true for you. He's forgiven you of every ounce of it. You stand before God because of the work of Christ, not because of what you've done. You stand before God completely forgiven, completely clean. And when he looks at your life, he does not see those things anymore. And if I'm honest with you, the reality is, is every once in a while, they do creep back into my mind. And I'm, gosh, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have lived that way. I wish I wouldn't have wasted those years. Man, it's forgiven. It's gone. It's washed. It's, I live a new life, forget it, drop it, remove it, remove it from me. How did this happen? How could this possibly be? How could we be forgiven? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So there's two things, two things that God had to do in order to make us alive together in the Christ, in order to forgive us all our trespasses, he had to cancel the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He had to get rid of those two things. Right? So the record of debt is what you are marked as, what you're known as, this old self. Right? If you, if you commit a felony, right? you commit a felony, you, you do something, you are marked as, for the rest of your life, you are marked as a felon. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, this is, this is who you are. You are a felon. That's just the reality of it, right? Now, maybe you can bury that, right? Maybe your wife doesn't know. Maybe your kids don't know. Maybe your neighbors don't know. But every single time that you apply for a job, felon. Every single time you go to volunteer and you got to have a background check, felon. Every single time you move into a new community or you get pulled over, felon. Every time you get a, you get a traffic ticket, you, you're, you're marked, you are known. It rears its head again and again and again. It's who you are. You're a felon. Even though you've paid that time and you've done the price and you've, you've paid that fine, whatever it was, for the rest of your life, you're marked. That, that, is, that, is, the, that is the debt that stood against us. With its legal, the record of debt, and then it also has legal demands, right? There's a legal demand. You, you commit a felony. The legal demand is that you must pay the price. Maybe that's a massive fine or fee. Uh, chances are it's time in prison. It, that's the legal demand of the felon. That's the, the reality of it. And it doesn't matter what else the rest of your life is like. It doesn't matter what else you've done and created that is good and right and, and worthy of, uh, of the rest of society. Nobody cares. You're marked. As a felon, and there's a penalty that comes along with that. The same is true for you and I in Christ. We can say, we can stand before God, and, and, and he is, he's on the throne, 
as judge over all things. And he's the perfect judge. And we stand before him and you can say, man, no, 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 man, man, my kids love me. My spouse loves me. I have a great career. My people, coworkers love me. I go to church every week. I, pr- I pray. I, do, I read my Bible. I do all the right things. Are you guilty? Have you ever committed a trespass? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever broken that covenant that he's created with you? Are are you guilty in any way, shape, or form? Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. We all have. We all are. And so it doesn't matter. No, no, I've created nonprofits that that feed starving children. We build wells in India. We've done all these. It doesn't matter. You're guilty. It doesn't matter. You're guilty. That's what you're marked by. And so the God of the universe racks the gavel and says, you are, you are guilty. You're guilty. And there's a punishment that goes along with that, um, right? There's a punishment that, that comes along with that. And that punishment is the wrath of God. It is, it's death. For the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from him. That's the punishment. But in this case, it's different. You see, the God of the universe, the perfect judge, racks the gavel, and as the perfect judge, he must say guilty, because you are, because I am. But then the perfect judge, who has never committed a crime in his life, who's never committed treason in his life, who's never sinned, who's never fallen short, he is glorious, he is righteous, he removes his robe, he steps off of the podium, he steps down into time, into earth. He puts on human clothes. He puts on flesh. He dwells among us. He becomes like us. And he goes to the cross. He says, I will take that punishment. I'll take your record of debt. You can place it on me. I'll take the legal demands. You place those legal demands on me. And I will bear them. I will bear the wrath of God on the cross. I will bear my own wrath. I'll bear my own punishment for you. And Christ is nailed to the cross, he bleeds the ground red, and he covers you in his own righteousness. He gives us his righteousness, and he takes from us our unrighteousness, and it's buried with him. It's killed with him. It's destroyed with him. And so for those of you in this room who've been trying so long to to make yourself right or to feel right, there, there is no way. It's not found in success. It's not found in righteous deeds. It is only found in Christ. Christ and Christ alone is where righteousness is found. He is the only one that can solve, that can heal, that can bring about a right standing before God. C.S. Lewis um, is an amazing, amazing theologian and author. He wrote a series of children's books, and in the series, one of the books is called The Voyage of the Dawn Trotter. And there's a, there's a character in the book who's developing, becoming a dragon. He's got these dragon scales, and he's tried to remove it. He's tried to get rid of it. He can't get rid of it. I, he tried three times. He's just desperate. He's like, man, I can't, I can't rid myself of this dragon skin. And Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, says, well, I can help you with that. And here's how it reads in in the book. It reads this way. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. Boy, I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right through my heart. And when he began to pull... 
When you began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. Then only, the only thing that made it me able to bear it was the pleasure, was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab or a sore place, it hurts like video, but it's so much fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as, though, just as I thought I had done it myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me, and I didn't like it much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water, and it smarted like something, like anything, but, the only, but only for a moment. After that, I became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. This story is the story of Colossians 2. It's the cutting off of the old self. And yes, it hurts. Yes, it hurts to say, man, I've wrapped my identity in these things for so long. And, I'm, and I've tried to remove them. I know it's not good. I've, I've tried to sever these things, but it's never truly hurt before. It's never truly cost me. There's a cost to being a disciple of Christ. There's a cost to coming after him. There's a cost of following him. And that cost is death to yourself, denying yourself, giving those things to him, laying them at the foot of the cross, coming under the knife and saying, men, cut away the old. Strip me of who I once was. Strip me of the things that define my life. And let me be defined, let me be marked by only Jesus, And then we declare that through baptism, right? And just as the boy's splashing around and he's playing and it hurts in the moment, but then you realize things are the way that they were actually meant to be. Christ is now near. He is in me and I can draw near to him. I'm no longer separated by this expanse anymore. I can draw near to him. I've, I've been given new life. I am a boy again. I am, I'm able to draw near. I'm, I am loved by the Father. I, Christ is in me and I am in him and we are in God and nothing can separate us. Things are the way that they were meant to be. And I'm no longer a slave to sin. I can put those things off. I can push those things away and I can cling to Christ and Christ alone. This is the beauty of the gospel. You have been freed from things that you can't begin to imagine, things that you've been trying to cut off and put off for so long. The answer is in Christ. It's not going to be pain-free. It's going to cost you. What has cost God so much cannot be cheap to you and I. It will hurt. We must lay those things aside and say, Christ, shape me, mold me, make me more like you, wrap my life around your life. Might I be known for only Jesus, not those things, not the things of the past, not who I once found my identity in. Remove them from me. Mark me by only you. Let me pray for us.
Jesus, this morning we come before you and we declare that there are things in our lives that pull us away from you, things in our lives that we um, want to be known as. Whether we're known in the community, whether we're known in our office, whether we're known in our family, whether we're known amongst our friends. Things other than only Jesus. There are things in our past that are dark. That have stained us. And we've tried to cut them off on our own. We've tried to, we've gone through all the processes and done all the things and they keep coming back, they keep coming back, they keep coming back. Some of us have been coming to church for a long time and we've bought into the idea that because of what we do here, we, we, are, we are right and we're okay. That might be the most dangerous place to be. You and you alone are able to cut off the old. Bury it in the tomb that you were buried in. And to raise us to a new life. The way things that were meant to be. Where we can know you. We can draw near to you. We can love you. We can be loved by you. And our sin and our shame and our guilt do not need to stand in the way of those things. Let us become a people who are quick to release the things of this world, quick to lay them down, quick to push them away, and are quick to cling to you and you alone. Mark our lives, only Jesus. I pray this thing in your name. Amen.